Again, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We've been studying through the Gospels for quite some time now. And the way we go through God's Word here is we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and we just want to teach through the whole counsel and the whole Word of God. So that's what we do together. Now, for the past several weeks, we have been studying through Jesus' teaching, and He's been teaching by using parables. Again, a parable is a fictional story used to illustrate a real meaning and an applicable meaning in your life. And Jesus had been teaching through that, and we've been studying that for the past month. Today, we're going to pick it up where we left off last week in Mark chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 35 today, and we're going to start chapter 5 as well. And I titled this message, Why Are You Fearful? And this is not an original title. This is actually a question that Jesus asks in these verses. And I'll tell you what, this has been a convicting question that God has put on my heart all week long. Why do I fear? Why do I allow stress to dominate the way that I minister? Why do I take my eyes off of the power of God, off of His might, off of His authority, and why do I get carried away in stress and fear knowing who my God is? These are questions that the Holy Spirit's convicted my heart on this week. And maybe you're guilty of doing the same thing. But I want you to think on these questions as we study through these verses today. So with that said, again, please turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 35, and we're going to read verses 35 through 41. And then we'll go back through and break them down together. So Mark 4, verse 35. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now, when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So first things first, in verses 35 through 36, we have to just kind of go over some context of what's going on. When it says Jesus said to them, the them referred to here are the disciples. Remember, Jesus had been teaching a whole multitude of people, but after a couple of parables, he sent the multitudes away, taught just the disciples, and now he is speaking only to the disciples here. Two more questions I see in verses 35 through 36. It said on the same day, what day? Well, this day, it goes back weeks. This is the, We've been studying the same day for weeks now. This was the same day that Jesus, he went into the temple area and he found a demon-possessed boy who was both blind and mute. And Jesus, he cast out the demon, he restored the, the boy's sight, restored the boy's ability to speak, and it caused a great marvel amongst the people. And the religious leaders came and they didn't like it. And they accused Jesus of doing the work of God by the power of Satan. And Jesus, he schooled the religious leaders, if you remember. Right? He taught on the blasphemy of the Spirit, put the religious leaders in, his, in their place, right? And then shortly after this, Jesus, he left. He went to the shore. And right as he went to the shore, multitudes of people came. Thousands of them. So much so that Jesus, he had to leave the shore and he taught the people from a boat. And that's when Jesus, he taught the parables. So this very same day, a lot happened to Jesus. 
But the same day it says that he got into a boat and he told his disciples, let's cross to the other side. The sea that Jesus wanted to cross was the Sea of Galilee. So let's see what happens next in verse 37. It says, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. We're told that a great windstorm broke out as they were sailing across the sea. The word great here in the Greek language is a word called megas, where we get our English word mega. And it means something very large, violent, and intense. This was not just a little drizzle, right? This was a huge storm, a very dangerous storm. And these people were very familiar with the sea. A lot of them were fishermen beforehand. They were familiar. You don't go on the sea when this kind of a storm is taking place. It's very dangerous. Notice, though, that as the disciples were ministering and following the will of Jesus, they encountered a great storm. That's not a coincidence. Anytime we seek to do the will and the work of God, we are going to encounter storms. You can't just do the work of God inside of the will of God and not face opposition for it. Because we have an adversary called the devil, and he does not want the work of God being accomplished. He doesn't want you in Chiang Mai. He doesn't want you following Jesus. He doesn't want you going into camps to share Jesus. He doesn't want you going into villages to share Jesus. So he's going to do anything in his power to keep that from happening. So there's a great storm, right? As the disciples and Jesus are doing the work of God, they encounter this storm. What storm are you currently walking through today? And we each have different answers. Might be encountering different types of spiritual warfare, but spiritual warfare is a very real thing. And Satan is after your life. He's after your family. He's after your marriages. He's after your ministry. What storm are you walking through today? We know for the disciples exactly what kind of a storm they were walking through. And we're also told in verse 37 that the boat starts to fill with water. And you know, if the boat fills up with too much water, they're going to sink and they're going to drown in the sea. So let's see what happens in verse 38. But Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? I love this verse. I really do. Because you see, Jesus, he's just completely unfazed by everything going on. So much so that he's just sleeping. I don't know if you've ever tried to sleep during a thunderstorm. For me, at least, I can't do it. Right? Once the thunder hits, I'm up. Jesus, he's just chilling. Right? He's just sleeping in the stern on a pillow, unfazed by the heavy rain, unfazed by the thunder and the waves crashing on the boat. And then you look at the disciples and they're quite the opposite. Right, They're running around crazy. They're scared. They're nervous. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Do you see the difference between Jesus and the disciples? See, Jesus, He already knew what was going to happen. He knew they were going to encounter this storm. He knew that He was going to calm the storm. All he wanted was his disciples to trust him, right? And I thought of a verse from Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 3, and it's not on the screen. But Isaiah wrote this, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And this was Jesus. Jesus is at perfect peace with what was going on. He wasn't afraid. But the disciples, they were running around like crazy, scared that they were going to drown, but they didn't realize they already started to drown. They started drowning in something else. They were drowning in their fear and drowning in their stress. So I just asked, what kind of a storm are you walking through today? Now I'm going to ask you the follow-up question. What are you drowning in today? Maybe the storm that you've been encountering in your life, it's caused different types of stresses for you to drown in. Maybe it's anger. 
Maybe you encountered someone who treated you wrongfully this week and you have anger in your heart and hate towards them. And if you allow those feelings to simmer in your heart, you will drown in them. Maybe it's worry. For me, it was worry this week. I was worried about many things this week. So much so that it caused me to take my eyes off of Christ and I started doubting all week. Maybe it's worry. Maybe it's something else you're drowning in today. But what is it? Is it sin? Is it addiction? Is it doubt? Is it stress? I want to point out two things here. First, I want you to notice the disciples' attitude toward Jesus. Right? They didn't come and just gently tap Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, can you help us? No, they said, teacher, don't you even care about us? Don't you even care that we're dying? Their attitude toward Jesus, it changed pretty drastically, didn't it? This is the same Jesus that they just watched heal blind people, heal mute people, cast demons out, right? The God they've been living with and watching minister, right? You, you would expect maybe some reverence. But no, they're so blinded by their fear that their attitude changes drastically toward Jesus. And they say, Jesus, don't you even care about us? Don't you even care that we're perishing? Maybe this describes your attitude toward Jesus this week. Jesus, I thought you loved me. Jesus, I thought you called me here. So why aren't you providing for me? Jesus, if you called me here, then why am I facing all of this opposition? Jesus, I thought you were going to take care of me. How is your attitude toward Jesus? I'll tell you this. When we allow our fear to take hold of us, it blinds us. It blinds us greatly. Fear is a powerful tool Satan uses to try to turn us against Jesus. It's a trap that the enemy uses to make you question if God's enough, to make you question if God really cares for you, to make you question if God really loves you. Fear is taking Jesus off of the throne in our lives and lowering Him to the level of our worries and our stress. That's what fear is. Fear is a powerful tool of Satan. And unfortunately, there's a lot of fearful Christians today, isn't there? But on a good note, I also want to notice one positive thing that the disciples did. Maybe their attitude toward Jesus wasn't great, but at least they went to Jesus. right? At least they went to Jesus during this storm. Many times when we're fearful and we're walking through hardships, we become callous toward Jesus. We're no longer reading His Word. We're no longer taking things to Him in prayer. We're trying to get help and resources from everyone but God. But the disciples, even though they had a poor attitude, they still went to Jesus for help during this storm. Are you going to Jesus with your worries and your fear? Are you taking it to Jesus in prayer? Are you reading the Word of God? There are many missionaries today drowning in their ministry because they're not taking their ministry to Jesus. They're not serving Jesus, right? Somehow, some way, the, 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 the motive has changed from glorifying God to advancing what I want to do. There's many organizations today sinking and drowning because Jesus is not in the center of them. And if we're going to bear fruit in ministry and in serving the Lord, we need to keep Jesus at the center, going to Him often. When these hardships arise in our lives or these storms come, we've got to take them to Jesus. Because the remedy for fear is Jesus. The remedy for fear is the Word of God. So let's see how Jesus responds to this in verses 39-41. through 41. He arose, He rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared him exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? 
So Jesus, he gets up. He doesn't respond to the disciples yet. He just gets up. He goes. He rebukes the storm. He calms the sea. Speaks peace over this great storm. It's an amazing display of power for Jesus. But I find it fascinating that before Jesus even addresses the unbelief and the fear of the disciples, he first rebukes the storm. I think that's significant because it shows us that God's faithfulness is not dependent on our faithfulness to him. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God will always be faithful. And before he even addresses the matter of the disciples' heart, first he gets up and he rebukes the storm. And I love that. find it amazing that Jesus, he puts up with us. He's still gentle. He's loving. He cares for us. Even if we come to him with poor attitudes, there's forgiveness with him. I also find it amazing that the storm had had no choice but to submit to Jesus. It didn't say that the storm died down a little bit. It said it stopped. It was done. Right? It shows that Jesus, he's Lord over all. Nature has to submit to him. All things must submit to Jesus, including your life. And one day your life will submit to Jesus because you'll have no choice. And so maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You bow now or you bow later. You don't want to bow later. Right? Because if you face Jesus without knowing Him personally as Lord and Savior, there is judgment for that. But all will submit to Jesus. This is the Jesus that we serve, a powerful Jesus. So in verse 40, Jesus asked these questions. He says, why are you so fearful? How do you have no faith? After all these men witnessed Jesus do, they were still riddled with fear. And I'm sure all of us can relate to the disciples. I know I can at least. Right? I've watched Jesus do amazing things in my life. I watched Jesus provide for me in so many different ways. And yet I still find it in my heart to question him when I'm going through a new hardship. I remember when I went to take a furlough in the States back in March, I was so fearful about just traveling in general because it was a nightmare to travel. It still kind of is. It's easing up. Praise the Lord. But I remember, you know, I was around sick people all week. And I had to get a COVID test and, you know, I got a negative test, no delayed flights, no canceled flights. God provided all my finances, did amazing things while I was home. But the whole time I'm home, I'm just worried about getting back. I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. The the flights are going to get canceled. They're going to get delayed. I'm going to lose my Thai pass. I'm going to pop positive for COVID. It's not, I'm not getting back. I literally had this mindset the whole time I'm home. And I sat with my pastor in the States and he said, After all you watch Jesus do, are you really going to question over something as small as travel? And I got convicted by that. But we do it, don't we? And sometimes it's not a big windstorm that we doubt Jesus in. It's just a little small thing. Where's the money going to come from next month? Right? What is it that you're struggling with? Can you relate to the disciples here? But this is why Scripture is so clear and it tells us to remember, to remember God's faithfulness in our lives. And Jesus asks these questions to the disciples, but he's asking these questions for us as well. Why are you so fearful? And Jesus is asking this question because there's a church today that exalts fear above Jesus. There is a church, unfortunately, today that exalts fear above who God is. So much so that they allow fear to dictate how they minister, how they serve, who they reach out to. When as a church, we're called to fear God and God alone, to not fear man to not fear sickness, to not fear death, to do what God called us to do. Why? Because God doesn't need us to do it. He's inviting us in. And we would do well 
to take advantage of this amazing opportunity that God is giving us. We're not called to cower in fear, to close our doors and shrink back from going out to this world. We're called to be bold. You know, Mike just shared during prayer time that these people in this camp, they're hungry. This is the world right now. The world's hungry for hope, starving for truth. And we're called to go out there and share the truth of Jesus. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 1 says, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. This is how we're called to be, bold like a lion. I think of David, a great man of God in Scripture. He's known as a man after God's own heart. David, he exemplified what a fearless life looked like, didn't he? He went out and he faced giants. He faced armies that were twice the size. He trusted the Lord. He wasn't afraid. His faith in God was enough. And despite the ridicule he may have received for doing these things, he still trusted in the Lord. He wasn't drowned in his fear. And David wrote this in Psalm 56, verses 3-4. through I love these verses. David wrote this when he did encounter these times of fear in his life. And he said, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise His Word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Whenever David was afraid, he all he did was just trust in the Lord and say, you know what? I remember who you are, Lord. I'm not afraid. What's the worst that can happen to me? I belong to you. So in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, why are you fearful today? What is it that is separating you in fear from Jesus? Lastly, in verse 41, the disciples feared exceedingly. Their fear was replaced with a godly fear. Now they were just fearful because they saw this amazing display of power by God. They're like, we've never seen anything like this before. Demons don't just submit to Him. Nature submits to Him. And they were incredibly fearful of the great power of God. This is a healthy fear to have. This is the only fear we're to have, is a fear of God. Because the fear of God is a reverence for God. It's a respect for who He is. It's understanding that God created all things and all things submit to Him. We're going to go into chapter 5, and this is another great story we're going to study. So we're just going to take it a few verses at a time. So Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Then they came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart from him, and the shackles broken in pieces, neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. This is quite the story. Now I want you to put yourself in the position of the disciples. You had a long day, right? You were with Jesus. You witnessed Him perform the miracle earlier in the temple. You're with Jesus as He's, you know, having the altercation with the religious leaders. You sit with Jesus, listen to Him teach the multitudes. You get out on a boat that night. Big storm comes. You're really fearful. You're afraid you're going to die. Jesus calms the storm. Now you're just amazed with who God is, but still recovering. And then you get to the other side. You walk out, and this demon-possessed man runs up to you. This sounds like something out of a horror movie. Look at the description of this man, right? We're told that this man, he he dwelled in the tombs. It tells us that no one could bind him. No one could even put chains on him because he would break the chains. No one could subdue him. This is an intense story. And I want you to notice that one storm ended for the disciples and another one begins in a different way. 
And this is how ministry is, isn't it? I was reminded, I had to talk to Aaron this week. I'm like, you know, yeah, this happened and then this happened. He's like, this is ministry. One storm ends and another begins. Again, why? Because Satan doesn't want the work of God being done. Now, they were in a region called the Gadarenes. This is also a place called Gadara. And it was a part of a tract of land in modern-day Syria called Decapolis. And the word Decapolis is a Greek word, and it means ten cities. So this was one of ten cities in the area. And in this area lived many Hellenistic Jews. And a Hellenistic Jew was a Jewish person who started to embrace Gentile culture. Right, So they were Jewish, but they weren't living according to Jewish customs and culture. They were adopting the Gentile beliefs. So it tells us verse 2, as Jesus got out, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs. Right as soon as Jesus' two feet hit the ground, this demon-possessed man comes running out of a tomb. How would you feel in this situation? And again, we see this man's reputation in verses 3 through 4. But verse 5 tells us that this man would cry out and cut himself as well. And we get a picture of the demonic entities here. Demonic forces are very real. Demon possession is a real thing, and it happens right here in this city. If you've ever gone with us on Wednesday night, not to scare you, we encounter it quite a bit. It's a real thing. It's happening today just as it was happening then. And we we get to see certain traits of demons here in, in these verses. For one, demons possess pretty supernatural strength. The fact that this man possessed was able to break chains apart shows us that he has strength that's not by human means. Two, we're told that they entice self-harm on the ones they possess. Right? This man was caused to cut himself with stones. We also know that they're familiar with the, with the geography. They knew exactly where Jesus was, exactly when he got to the shore. They're familiar with the area. And we also know according to the implication in verse 15, which we haven't read yet, that this man was naked and that demons, they promoted the nudity of this man. So you see certain traits of these demonic forces. And these are very real things. And they're at work today. So again, I ask, how would you feel in this situation? But once again, Jesus in his sovereignty, he knew this situation was going to happen. He knew, right, when he was on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, he knew a big storm was going to come. He knew he was going to calm that. He knew he was going to face this man who was fully demon-possessed. Jesus, he didn't tell this to the disciples, though. And every time I read these stories, I'm like, why wouldn't Jesus just forewarn them? Why wouldn't he say, hey, by the way, we're going to encounter a big storm. Don't worry, I'm going to calm it. Oh, and by the way, once we get to the other side, we're going to see a demon-possessed man coming, running out of a tomb, naked, going crazy. Why wouldn't he tell the disciples this? I believe Jesus, he wanted to take the disciples deeper in their faith by testing their faith and demonstrating his power. And he wants to do the same thing today for each one of us. He wants to take us deeper in our calling and deeper in our walk with him. And this is why we need to be in the word. This is why we need to be covering ourselves in prayer. Because we want to mature in our faith. We don't want to misrepresent Jesus. Let's look at verses 6 through 7. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. This demon speaks, and the text tells us that it worshipped Jesus. Now, you might read this and you're like, that's pretty strange. Why would a demon run up to Jesus to worship him? Well, the word worship here, it doesn't mean the, the definition that we 
tend to think, where he was singing praise to God and praying, right? The word worship here in the Greek language, it means to fall down in reverence. See, demons, they don't have a choice, just like the nature has no choice. This demon knew who Jesus was, and he had to fall down in reverence before him. This demon, it says he implores Jesus not to torment them. Now, I had to ask myself, what does this mean? What does this mean? Why is the demon begging Jesus not to torment them? I believe it could be one of two reasons. Number one, this could be a reference to a place in Scripture called the bottomless pit. It's also called the abyss in Scripture. And we learn in Revelation in the book of Jude that this is a basically a prison for demonic forces. And here their power is limited. They're not able to go out and do what demons do. This could be what they were referring to. But again, I, I think, and this is what I believe the, the main idea is, these demons, if they're not able to torment man and torture mankind, they are being tormented. Their sole purpose is to go out and steal, kill, and destroy. That's the devil's purpose, and that's what his demons seek to do. If this demon wasn't possessing someone, that would be a torment to him. It wants to torture man. This is why this demon-possessed man was cutting himself with stones. Because demons want harm on man. Why? Because we are image-bearers of God. And demons don't like that. They don't want to see image-bearers of God. They want to come and they want to mar that image. But the demon, it had no choice. It recognized who Jesus was. It believed who Jesus was. James chapter 2, verse 19 says that even the demons believe in God and tremble. See, there's a difference between belief and faith. There's a big difference. There are many people today who say, I believe in God. Demons believe in God. There's a difference between believing in God and having faith. Having faith means that you apply what you believe. You live to glorify what you believe. The demons, they believed in God, but they weren't living to glorify God. And there are many people today who say, well, I believe in God, but I'm not going to follow him. We have a choice to make. Are we going to follow Jesus or not? It's not belief that saves a person in, in that sense, but it's faith. Accepting Jesus in your heart. Believing in him with your heart, but confessing him as Lord, meaning that you follow after him. It's faith. That's how we receive the free gift of God's grace. It's by faith. Let's look at verses 8 through 12. For he said to him, come out of the man, unclean spirit. Then he asked him, what is your name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, send us to the swine that we may enter them. So Jesus, he commands this demon to come out, but pretty interesting Jesus, he talks to this demon. He says, what, what's your name? Now, I should put this disclaimer in, right? You see a lot of times, you maybe watch some Christian movies and you see people talking to demon-possessed people and talking to Satan, like, Satan, you won't do this. We don't talk to the devil. We don't talk to demons, right? We have no power over demonic forces apart from Jesus. Jesus is talking directly to this demon because he's God. And we would do well to remember that we're not God. But many people, they want to study Satan, they want to study demons, they want to study the occult. This dangerous stuff. This dangerous stuff. right? Jesus is talking directly to this demon because he's God. And I feel like that's an important disclaimer. The demon's response, he says, my name is Legion. Now, according to the Roman Empire, a legion could contain around 3,000. 
up to 6,000. That's a lot of demons. Even if it was 300, that's still a lot of demons in one person. This doesn't just happen. right? Hundreds or thousands of demons just don't go and possess a person. It could be, and this is implied by other scriptures, that maybe this man was exercised before, maybe someone cast out a demon before, and the demons came back with more demons and possessed him again. We're not told in scripture, but it's pretty fascinating that this many demons was possessing this person. And obviously there was great strength and great power because of the number of demons. Note in verse 10, the demons, they beg not to be sent from that region. Again, these demonic forces, they're geographically sound. They know where they're at. I believe that they're assigned to certain areas. And we're not going to turn there, and this is a study for another day, but Daniel chapter 10, it tells us that there are demonic forces behind nations, geographical locations. And I believe these demons, they were working in this area, and they didn't want to be sent away from there. And that's why they asked Jesus, right? They, they begged him not to send them from that region. Verse 11 tells us that there was a herd of swine or pigs feeding nearby. And you might be thinking, well, if there were Jews there, why are there pigs? Pigs are against Jewish law. You can't own them. You can't eat them. Remember, these are Hellenistic Jews. They've adopted Greek culture and customs. So raising pigs, according to a Hellenistic Jew, is not the most out-of-world thing. It's what they did. <laughs> right? But again, it was still against Jewish law and Jewish culture to have these. Let's look at verses 13 through 14. And at once, Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned into the sea. So those who fed the swine fled and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. It's pretty significant. These demons, they needed permission from Jesus to be sent into the pigs. Note also there were 2,000 pigs, which tells us there were at least 2,000 demons in this man. Again, pretty fascinating. But these demonic forces, they have no power or authority. They need to seek permission from Jesus. And again, it shows us that Jesus is so much greater than any demonic force or power in this world. And I've had people ask me, well, if there's demon-possessed people where you guys go to evangelize, why do you go? Because we don't need to fear. Because the God that we serve is greater than the forces of darkness. Right? And for us, the calling is the same. We want to go share Jesus with the lost. Of course, the enemy is going to bring opposition against that. But Jesus is so much greater than any force of darkness. He's defeated the enemy already. And for a lot of Christians, we need to get the comic book picture of Jesus out of our head, where Jesus and the devil are these two rivals with each other, and they have the same power. That's not true. Satan's a defeated enemy. He's a created entity, and Jesus is God. He's already defeated him. There's no rival in power. Demons have to submit to Jesus. They don't have a choice, and they need permission from Jesus to do this. And again, it encourages us that God is so much greater than the devil and demonic forces. So maybe you're here today and you're fearful when you go out to share Jesus that you're going to encounter some hardships from the devil. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be fearful. Why? This is who our God is. The God that legions of demons fall down before and have to submit to. That's the Jesus that we serve. Our Jesus, He hasn't changed. That's the Jesus that we read here in Scripture and that's the Jesus that we serve today. Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 says... Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, 
triumphing over them in it. This is exactly what Jesus is doing here. He's making a public spectacle of these demons, triumphing over them in it, and they have no choice but to submit to His power. And I love the the little just icing on the cake that Jesus, He does give them permission to go into the pigs because this is an illegal business. Right? This is an illegal business, and even if these people were adopting Gentile culture and customs, they were still Jewish, and Jesus is getting rid of an illegal business and demon possession. He's getting rid of two things at once. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who had been demon possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him to depart from their region. So we're told in verse 14 that the townspeople, they witnessed this whole thing. They saw that what Jesus did. They ran back in to tell the others, you got to see this. You know that guy that none of us could subdue? Well, this man just came, cast out these demons, and our pigs that we had, they all just ran off a cliff. 2,000 of them, and they're all dead. That's quite the story to run into the town with. So, of course, the people are interested. So they come running. They want to see what happened. And they come back and they see this man who had a great reputation of being evil, right? This man who was possessed by legions of demons and they see him sitting. He's not naked anymore. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And these people were frightened to see that because they must have thought if we as a whole town couldn't subdue him, how could one man subdue him? And this is an amazing thing. This is what the power of Jesus can do to a life. Right? A life so twisted and evil as this man, right? This man was possessed by legions of demons, and yet by the power of Jesus, this man, he was set free, back in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. If this doesn't stir your heart to share Jesus, I don't know what will. Because many times we think there are some people who are so evil and too far gone that they can't be saved. This man had 2,000 demons in him, and here he is sitting at the feet of Jesus, in his right mind. Are you sharing Jesus? Are you going out to share the gospel? Maybe you've been praying for someone in your life and you've just given up because they're just so wicked. They're not changing. And you're like, this person will never change. They're never going to come to know the Lord. And then maybe some of you who are super spiritual, you're like, well, he's blaspheming the Spirit. He's never going to repent. Right? Sometimes we think these things. It's never okay for us to give up praying on a person. Right? Jesus is able to change any heart. He's able to save any life. And this is the proof right here that Jesus, He saved this man who was possessed with legions of demons. And this man, he, he was at the feet of Jesus. The demons, though there were thousands of them, they couldn't put up with the power of Jesus. They had no choice but to submit to Him. They couldn't put up a fight with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So what is it in your life that is binding you? Demons were binding this man's life. And for us, praise the Lord, it's not demons. But what is it in your life that is binding you? Again, go back to the questions from earlier. What storm are you walking through? What are you drowning in? What is binding you today? Maybe it's an addiction in your life and you just can't shake it and you think, no, I'll never be free. You can be free. Maybe it's a sin. You keep struggling with it. And you want to change, but you just can't seem to get over this sin. Jesus is able to break those chains. Maybe it's a person in your life, again, who you think will never come to repentance. Jesus is able to save them. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's worry. I don't know what it is. You know. God knows. What is it that you're afraid of? Jesus is greater than any of these things. 
Verse 17, it tells us they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. Now, I think many times when we read this story, you know, we, we read it and we think, well, why would these people ask Jesus to leave? He just did this amazing miracle. And I've heard many people interpret this and they say, well, it's because they were upset about Jesus getting rid of the business of the pigs and that's why they wanted him to go. I've heard people say, well, it's because their hearts were hard and they rejected Jesus. I just think they were just afraid. I just think they were just fearful. I think they just saw a man who the whole town tried to subdue and couldn't, and yet this man just says a word, and this man is 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 healed. These demons just ran into 2,000 pigs that jumped off a cliff. I think the people were just frightened. I think they were just in a, just honestly, just amazement and, and fear, as the disciples were in fear in Mark 4, verse 41. I just think they were fearful. And again, it's my opinion. It's not scripture. It's just my opinion. I just think they were afraid. They were terrified at the sight of such power and authority. And they said, if he could do that to 2,000 demons, what could he do to me? Just, can you please leave? I don't know. But they asked Jesus to leave, and he did. And it's a good reminder for us, as we'll see in verse 18. And we'll just read verses 18 through 20, and then we'll go over them. It says, And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim to Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. I said it's a good reminder for us because when the people asked Jesus to leave, he did. He got, he got back into the boat. He just got off the boat, counted this demon. Now he gets back into the boat again. And it's a good reminder for us that Jesus doesn't force himself on anyone. Jesus didn't put up a fight with them and say, well, you have a misunderstanding. I am God. That's <laughs> not what he said. He said, okay. That's Jesus, right? He doesn't force himself on us. And I've heard many people say, well, why doesn't Jesus force himself on us? If he truly wants people to be saved, why doesn't he force people to believe in him? Because Jesus wants relationship with us. He wants us to come to him. Right? If you, there's, there's no love in a one-sided relationship, right? There's no true love there. And Jesus, he wants love from us. He wants relationship from us. He wants us to come to him just as he came to us. And so when Jesus said, he saw these people and they were like, just leave, Jesus said, okay. So he got back into the boat. But we see this man who is demon-possessed. And he says, Jesus, wait, I want to go with you. I would want to go with Jesus too if I was demon-possessed. And Jesus cast out these demons. I would, I, I would want to go with Jesus. But verse 19, very interesting. It tells us Jesus did not permit him. He didn't give him permission to come with him. Instead, he said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Jesus wasn't being mean to this former demoniac, right? No, he was saying, I have a different plan for you. You're still following me, just not with me presently. Go into the town and tell everyone you know about what I've done for you. And this man, it tells us that he went out and he did it. He obeyed Jesus. He didn't just have this commission. He went out and he did it. And in verse 20, it tells us again, he began to proclaim in Decapolis again. This is ten cities. So he wasn't just going to one city. He was going to ten different cities to tell people what Jesus had done for him. And when the people heard what Jesus did, it said they all marveled. They were amazed. And I love the application we can draw from this story. Because it really is a beautiful story. It kind of starts dark. gets a little darker. But then it gets beautiful at the end, right? 
And I, and I love this application for us, that as Jesus commissioned this man, go to your friends, go to your family, go into these cities and tell them what I've done for you. That's exactly what Jesus is calling us to do. Go tell your friends, go tell your family what I've done for you. Go tell everyone you know the amazing things I've done for you, the compassion I have shown you. Don't be afraid. Go out and do what I've called you to do. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is the commission we've been given, just as this man in the story was given this commission. Many times we don't want to go out and share Jesus because we're afraid. We're afraid of ridicule, afraid of rejection. All right, I've heard it before. I've said it at one point, right? Oh, I don't want to push anyone away. Well, they're going to spend eternity in hell. I don't really think you can push them any further. All right, we've got to share Jesus. We've got to go out there. The world is hungry. It's starving for truth and hope. We don't have to be afraid of the powers of darkness. We don't have to fear death. Church, what do we really have to fear? Nothing. Because our God is greater than anything we will face or encounter. All this man did, he just looked at the miracle of his own life. And he went and shared what Jesus did. He didn't have to go share and say, well, I did this and this and this. No, he's sharing what Jesus did for him. And for each one of us, we are a miracle. Our lives have been transformed by the power of Jesus. Let's go out and share it. Let's share the hope that we have in him. And just as the people in these cities, they marveled upon hearing what Jesus did, the world is going to marvel when we tell them about hope. Because there's a lot of hopelessness in the world right now. A lot of fear, a lot of faithlessness. There's a lack of peace. And when the world hears, wait, there's peace? Wait, you have hope? Wait, you're not afraid? They marvel. They want to know. They're searching. And Jesus, as he called this man to go out, so we're called to go out as well. So I'll wrap up with this, and then we'll pray and continue our worship. We studied two stories today, both with a similar message. The first story was Jesus got onto a boat with his disciples. Big storm happened. The disciples were afraid. Jesus gets up rebukes the storm, shows his power, his might, and his authority. The disciples are amazed. They get off the boat, and then comes this demon-possessed man. Someone that no one could subdue, no one could stop, and yet Jesus, by merely speaking a word, casts out these demons and shows once again his power, his authority. And as Jesus asked a question in Mark 4, he said, why are you so fearful That's the question that I want to ask you again. Why are you fearful today? Why are you afraid? Look at who our God is. Look what He's done for us. And I don't say this, you know, in a place of of pride, like I don't struggle with this. No, I do. I've wrestled with this question all week long. The Spirit has been asking me, why are you afraid of this? Why are you fearing this? Trust me. And this is what Jesus wants. He wants to take us deeper in our faith. We don't have to be afraid. So I'd like to close with a verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. It says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who has fears has not been made perfect in love. And the perfect love that casts out our fear is Jesus Christ. We don't have to be afraid anymore. So let's go out and let's share what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you for your grace that you have towards us, Lord. We just thank you for your power. Lord, as we read and study these stories, we just see this is an amazing God that we serve. The forces of nature have to submit to him. Powers of darkness have to submit to him. Jesus, he is the Lord, and there is none but him, Lord. And we just thank you for this. We thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus, for the peace we have in him. 
And Lord, if there's anything in our hearts and our lives today that we are fearing and that we are afraid of, I pray that we would surrender these fears before you, that we would go to you as David did. He said, whenever I'm afraid, I'll trust in you. Lord, help us to trust you. Lord, increase our faith and give us the strength and the boldness, Lord, to go out into this world to share the love and hope of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.